Well, I'm excited. I'm excited. I think every episode, every conversation is moving our collective needle forward on this journey, but there are some where we take gigantic steps forward. We're going to aim for that to be one of those episodes. Dave, Pablo, Kim, welcome to the conversation. Before we get started, as I typically do, I'm going to give a little context to our audience. We're now deep in season two of the overarching journey to answer the question of what is the future of people initiatives. One of the topics we're unpacking in the season is how do we consumerize the employee experience. Some talk about it as how do we humanize the employee experience. Yet others talk about it as, hey, let's look at all of our HR products focused on the employee experience and how do we adapt this product mindset, this user centricity, if not user obsession. Now, we've had various folks join the conversation from the usual suspects, L&D, change management, people analytics, broader HR, operations, more recently technology, most recently marketing function. In fact, we have a number, number of episodes on the way that include a spectrum of opinion. We have some CMOs joining saying, I'm in. Let me take on some of the responsibilities in the employee experience. Others saying, we have plenty to do. We're here to partner and be the enablers of it. Now, we're super fortunate to have three brilliant minds, Dave, Pablo, and Kim, joining from West Monroe, which is a global digital service firm, HQ in Chicago, 10 offices around the world. They have a really unique perspective. They combine management consulting with product design, engineering, technology implementation to help clients succeed on their digital transformation journey. Now, this is a bonus. We have... I started, Dave, a conversation with you, and I was blown away, then the conversation with three, then individually, and then I was exposed to your signature research that you recently published, where you interviewed 300 global leaders. Now, this episode is a bit of an Adam-style agenda. Our you know, story arc is very rich. We're going to do our best to move through it. We're going to take on the current state of people what talk about in brief kind of uh, paintbrush of the future of people initiatives. We'll talk about the roadmap from future, uh, from present to future, starting with data. We'll connect data to nudges. And lastly, if we have time, we'll talk about who inside the organization will lead the way. All right, that was it. Whew, I had a lot of coffee this morning. I was like, I got to get the context done. And we are going to begin, begin Kim, with you on the current state how would you provide the overview from your point of view on the people current state? Sure. Well, hi, Adam. Thanks for having me on today. You know, I think it's a mixed bag in terms of the current state and where our uh, clients are on this spectrum of both their desire uh, for HR to be more digital and also to have a, a better, more robust employee experience. And I think it's our job as consultants here at West Monroe to meet our clients where they are on the journey and then help them get where they ultimately want to go. And it's not a one size fits all. I think you'll hear that a lot today as, uh, as Dave and Pablo join in on the conversation. We spend a lot of time really getting to know our clients, really getting to know what their concerns are, where uh, they're already doing well versus where they want to be. And, and really, again, spending that time understanding where they want to end up on the maturity curve of being more digital and having a consumer-grade experience for their employees. Maturity curve. Oh, my goodness. There's some organizations that are just wondering. They're just scratching, saying, maybe we should. And there are some that are already kind of like a race car. They're, they're out there. They're, they're, their foot is on the paddle. They're going full steam. Pablo, 
as we talk about the current people state, I said, hey, you know, who owns the brand experience, right? And we, we, I said, hey, externally, is it the CMO? Internally, how do you think about it? And your response and, and your, your analogy just crystallized your point of view, if you don't mind sharing with our audience. Sure. When I think about who owns experience, I always look at who is the closest to the customer. And, and I think that when you, when you look at you know, the spectrum, in most organizations, organizations that are directly to or work directly with a customer, they typically have the greatest impact on that customer experience. Well, generally, when you think about within the workforce, who does that? Um, it's going to be different. And the example that I shared was Uber. You know, when I think of Uber, going from point A to point B, my first thought is the application that I use. However, who really owns that experience is, is, is a broader spectrum. It, it's most, you know, sometimes it's going to be the app then it's going to be the driver in the car who owns that experience. I mean, there will be times where if I use Uber to you know, get from point A to point B, but my actual in-car experience is not great, who's to say I won't try Lyft next or another, you know, another app next? And so I think that most organizations understanding at, at the highest level that your employee experience is a direct correlation to the, you know, the uh, customer experience you know, without that understanding that you don't understand, then you're actually missing a tremendous opportunity to improve that customer experience by having a tremendous employee experience. So, um, you know, that's, that was sort of how I've always seen that. Yeah. I mean, the future of people initiatives is really, you know, for those who get that customer experience is defined by the employee experience. And, and I think that, you know, even the term who get it, who see that connection, I think it's, it's not just a loose, yeah, yeah, I agree. No, if you really agree and, and you think that this connection drives business outcomes, then the question is, how do you approach it strategically? How do you think about resources? How do you think about budgets? Because if you see this driving, if this is improving business outcomes, then you're going to invest accordingly. But is HR ready? Is HR ready to take this on? And um, I mean, Dave, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question, Adam. And uh, thanks again for <laughs> inviting us to join you today in the podcast. Um, as I think about is HR ready, it comes down to a skills issue um, fundamentally. And if you kind of take the notion of employee experience and um, uh, consumerize that, um, you really have to start with the notion of employee experience and what is that and what moments matter for employees and managers and organizations and what journeys do you want them to take um, as they um, encounter those um, moments that matter? And then how do you engineer the human resource and organizational processes and the HR delivery model and then the technology to enable that? If you think about that entire pathway, that entire spectrum of, of, of areas that I just mentioned, um, HR has got to understand that entire spectrum. They have to have digital literacy. They have to have data literacy. They have to understand marketing Science. It's not just an issue of installing a new HCM system um, or redesigning some basic core processes in HR. It's a much more complex picture that you have to assemble. But if you can do that, if you have the right skills to do that, you can positively impact things like attraction, retention, productivity that have a direct result on business outcomes. So Building skills through reskilling and upskilling in HR is going to be critical, but it's new kinds of skills. It's not just about building HR technology acumen. 
It's much broader than that. Indeed, indeed. And as if HR didn't have enough to worry about in their world, we're, we're introducing an entirely new dimension to their world. And you mentioned a number of things, including marketing, right? Because we understand that the world of marketing has figured out a lot on how to get through the noise, how to get attention, not everything, but it's figured out a lot. In fact, we were thinking of focusing our discussion on, on marketing only, but but we broadened the, the conversation. So, so I'd love, Pablo, I, w- w- it's really hard to talk about a future state. I mean, there should be hours and hours of conversation. But if we were to do an overview of a future state, you gave you gave an interesting analogy again that, that I thought was really spot on. If you don't mind sharing with, with the audience, how do you think about the future people future state? Absolutely. When I think of you know looking ahead, it, it's always it's always very critical to ensure that you're prioritizing what needs to be focused on most. Most organizations I've, I see typically struggle in that. There's so many things to get done, and they generally just, you know, they don't understand what are the, the things they should be prioritizing. I was in a conversation years ago with a good friend of mine, Dr. Scott Bonney, and we were talking to a client, and he, he, was, he said, every organization is like the human body. Um, it needs air, water, and food. Without air, you can live minutes. Without water, you can live days. Without food, you can live weeks. What is your air? And the client kind of sat back for, for a minute and he's like, you know, I really don't know. And that got me thinking, you know, what is, what is my air as, you know, as a team leader, as an organizational leader, you know, within my function? And, and it's different depending on where, you, where you're looking at within the organizational lens. But most organizations, if they do not truly understand what their air, water, and food are, will typically not be making the progress they're looking for, regardless of the type of transformation they're, they're trying to do. In my experience, you know, uh, depending on the type of organization, but let's say specifically, you know, ours is a, is a client services firm, you know, sales is our air. Without the ability to sell, we do not exist. If I'm Chick-fil-A, the ability to sell sandwiches is my air. Um, and, you know, I think that in most organizations that are for profit, it is something along that. And that's at an organizational level. But if I'm at a functional level, let's say marketing, what is my air in marketing? It's probably data. You know, without data, you don't know what customers are saying. And so you can kind of need that that insight to understand, well, how do I shift marketing to be you know, more effective? Well, so you need to understand your data. Um, at You know, the water ends up being what it is that you actually do. So at an organizational level. You know, again, Chick-fil-A, they got to make those sandwiches. They got to make that, you know, the food really great. And and at an organizational level, you know, the same thing. So, if in, it's, again, marketing, they've got to be able to, to, to create really great, you know, uh, engaging content. And then at the food level, it's always something around the people that enable you to actually deliver the thing that you do. And, and so even at a, you know, team organizational level, it is that culture that enables that to happen. But using that that analogy has allowed me to really orient around what are the things that are most critical right now and then be able to then further prioritize the other actions beyond that and so that's how i've always used um, the air water food analogy yeah and, and when you when you, you and i discussed it kind of brought back for me the maslow's hierarchy of needs you know and how do we how do we where do we focus our attention um dave i'd like to go to you now from 
kind of a strategic. Pa- Pablo kind of introduced these dimensions, but let's talk strategy. And also, if we could, let's mention the research. I've actually, over the last couple of days, I've been looking at it over and over again. It's full of really pretty incredible insights. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from this uh, signature research is, everything is centered around people, how they're organized, incentivized, and measured. But Dave, bring in the strategic lens for us. What is the future of well, future state of people. Well, it's um, uh, it's really interesting that you bring that up. So, you know, if we're talking about consumerism as it relates to people, um, underpinning the ability to deliver on that is um, kind of digital transformation. And we recently conducted a research study of 300 different organizations across various industry sectors, different sizes, primarily focused on C-suite. Um, so CEOs, CIOs, CFOs, chief digital officers, chief people officers, operating partners in private equity. And the purpose of the research was to seek to understand what organizational practices are high performing, high digital maturity organizations implementing uh, along their digital transformation journey. And we broke that down around three different organizational dimensions, structure, culture, and talent. And uh, some of our hypotheses were kind of proven going in and some were disproven going in. We thought that structure would be a more critical driver of higher performance, digitally mature organizations. But what we found, it was really more cultural dimensions and talent dimensions. Um, Structure was important, but it was less important uh, than these other two areas. And very specifically what we found is that digitally mature, high-performing organizations um, are more collaborative, fundamentally. They break down silos, they encourage teams, they reinforce teams, and that they also take risk, and that they reinforce risk-taking through their HR system. So for example, uh, higher-performing, digitally mature organizations actually encourage risk-taking and reward it, whereas lower-performing, less digitally mature organizations actually while they may espouse the value of risk-taking, they actually uh, can become punitive in some ways where people who take risks and may not succeed, they're actually penalized in some way, shape, or form. And so this notion of collaboration and risk-taking were key. We also found on the talent side that organizations that are able to retain critical talent. So I talked about the fact just, you know, the importance of, of upskilling and reskilling and building these critical skills to drive consumerism and and digital transformation. The ability of high-performing, digitally mature organizations to retain those skills once they acquire them. So it's less about talent acquisition, it's more about keeping them. They have good systems in place that um, people wanna stay. Uh, They're actively engaged and they don't leave uh, organizations. So having practices and a strong value proposition are really critical to that. And we also found um, that these same organizations have really effective learning strategies and developmental strategies in place. So they are working to actively upskill their population internally through a diverse set of learning programs and practices. I mentioned structure being less important. The one piece that really, uh, I think, structurally did stand out is that um, higher performing digital mature organizations break down silos and they tend to be more cross-functional um, in terms of, uh, of their structures. So as we're thinking about moving along this path towards consumerism and using digital um, mechanisms to deliver those consumeristic practices, 
These are the kinds of things that from a people perspective, organizations really have to focus on. So I encourage uh, others listening to this podcast to go and take a look at the Building Digital Organizations research. Um, it's, um, it's excellent. There's some great case studies available around that too. Thanks, Dave. And, and there's a lot of, you know, we talk about silos in all kinds of aspects from data silos, organizational silos. And I think what you just said is, is just super key and it makes a ton of sense if you have espoused values, right? It's the difference between espoused and, and, you know, values that you're living as an organization is about intentionality. It's about programs, about investments that you're making. And, um, you know, looking at the people future state, uh, Kim, I really appreciated how you took uh, some of the comments in, in our discussion and you, you brought it down to a pra- practical to implementation level. I think there's a tendency to drift in some of these discussions. Um, so how do you see the, you know, people future state? Sure. It, you know, I think ultimately what our clients tell us they want is they want good people decisions made in the moment by the people managers with the data they need, right? So right time, right place, right data. Uh, And, you know, I'm going to go back to something Dave said about culture, right? And how important the culture of the organization is as to whether or not you can be successful. And if I think about sort of the magnitude of the different uh, clients I've worked with, you know, I have clients that have said to me, we don't have a culture of manager self-service. We're not going to push things to the manager. We know they won't do it. Uh, So we have to be thoughtful about how we're going to do this uh, transformation because we need to meet our managers where they are. And if we try to push all the self-service, they're going to shut down. And then I've got other clients that are in a completely opposite direction. They push everything out to the people managers, including direct access to reporting tools and analytics so they can do their own people data queries and have real-time access to real-time information at the moment they're trying to make a decision. And somewhere along that spectrum is where most of our clients fall, right? And so this is why I go back to this, you know, really, how do you stay grounded? How do you take some of these great principles and ideas and strategies that Pablo and Dave have told you about? And then how do you make that work for your organization based on what you're willing to do? I got a call from, um, you know, one of my clients who they had just finished a rollout of a big new um, HR system. And one of their, um, what they thought at the time was a great idea was if you were a director and above, you could open your own requisitions when you wanted to hire new talent, right? But if you were below a director, you had to go through some process and get a recruiter involved and do all this stuff, right? And they got it all set up. They're super proud. They roll it out. And the director plus community hates it. They're like, I don't know how to do this. Why do I have to set up a requisition? Why can't I just tell somebody what I want to hire uh, or who I want to hire and what skills I want? And it's like they forgot the customer in their journey, right? And to t- sort of tie together these points that Pablo and Dave are making. And so now they've got to spend all this money to unwind all this configuration they did uh, because it doesn't uh, fit their culture. It doesn't fit what their director plus community wants to do. And they're, they're struggling to, to roll it back now and say, what is the right workflow that meets our folks where they are and gives them the consumer grade experience that they can actually handle at the moment. And it's topic by topic, right? So it's recruiting, it's analytics, it's learning, you know, it's, you know, what, what are all those moments that matter, as Dave said, and then where's your digital maturity for each one of those? And where's your culture to accept, you know, some change and whatever you want to be. So I I just, um, I say, 
I just remind everyone just to be thoughtful about what is your organization willing to take on and what can actually be successful um, before you do a whole bunch of uh, transformative work that the organization isn't, re- isn't culturally ready to accept and they're just going to reject it. Forgot to ask the customer, right? I mean, just so spot on. Forgot to ask the internal customer. The assumption is they are your captured audience. They, they don't have a choice. They're going to participate. No, no, no. They do have a choice. In a lot of the programs that we're describing here, they can just opt out. They can ignore the communication. Um, and this cu- customer mindset, you know, was just as I was thinking about this conversation, I was trying to simplify. I, I kept pushing, how do I simplify our discussion? How do I simplify roadmap? Because it seems like we're taking on such big topics. And I put down two dots. I, I have a board back here behind the computer. And on the board is one dot on the left, which is data. And then all the way on the other side, that is a nudge. Why data? Because without data, we, we, can't, we can't understand the employee experience. That's how we think about customers. And why nudge is because I keep hearing over and over again, and Kim, you just said it, how do we meet them where they are? And it's not a long video and a long PDF and a long presentation or a long meeting. It has to be real-time, relevant, personalized. So if we think about those two dots, right? Uh, what would the roadmap at the broad, broad strokes look like? And Pablo, you and I took it into the power of psychology, whether it's thinking about behavior change, motivation, there's all kinds of components there. So Pablo, connect, if you could, uh, those two dots for the audience. Absolutely. You know, um, there's a really great quote, and it is the idea of that, um, you know, there, you know, some information, or how to, I'm trying to think of how it goes now, um, you know, it, it's the idea that not all data tells you the right story. And there's something really interesting about that is, you know, not everything that counts should be counted and not everything that can be counted should be count, should be counted. Something like that. Uh, it's an interesting quote, but it's this, the concept is this, that data will tell you one thing and it will tell you what has been done. So when I look at any type of analytics, it's something of an action that has been taken. What it does not tell me is why that was ever taken. What was behind the action in and of itself. And uh, um, an interesting story that I, I heard was um, this, this organization had pretty high turnover. And they, when they started looking at the data, the data said that you know, people wanted higher raises and they wanted better housing near where the office was. And, and so what they ended up doing is they increased their, their, uh, their salary um, um, ranges and they actually found uh, uh, support to actually help people find housing nearby. And a year later, their attrition rates are still the same. They, they had not fixed the issue. So they started looking into why, and they started asking questions and started doing the research. And what they found was that salaries are a point, but what was really making people leave was the fact that they were not engaged. And the reason why they were not engaged is it took them over a year after they started working at the organization to actually feel like they were doing meaningful, meaningful work. So their first project when they got to the firm was, was just wasn't that exciting. It wasn't fully you know, related to what the reason why they felt like they were going to be there. And they didn't get the appropriate training in order for them to actually be successful. So they spent an entire year trying to understand the culture and the, the system that they were in just so that they could be and feel successful. Well, by that time, you know, it had already eroded away the trust that they had in the organization, and so they would eventually leave. And and what's interesting about that is when when you think about 
you know, how an organization is, is kind of structured. You know, there's, we, you know, we put so much emphasis on finding the right talent, but how much emphasis do we actually put into making sure we're setting them, them up for success and then building the right systems in place to kind of work on their own behaviors that enable them to, to make those choices that are beneficial to them. And that's, you know, not even just for new customers, for leadership. What incentivizes leadership to ensure that they're bringing along, you know, their new employees and giving them the right opportunities or making sure they're asking the right questions so that these people feel engaged and included into these conversations. And so for me, it is, you know, data is so critical but there's this tendency that we have to just only look at data and not go beyond that and, and try to get to the why. Why does someone behave in some certain way? And, and I think that is going to be you know, a really crucial aspect of when we think about transformation is understanding what are, the, what are the nudges that motivate and change behavior in the direction you're looking for, but understanding what are the motivation factors that are needed to actually understand what nudges need to be taken place. And so there's a really interesting kind of connection between behavior and analytics. And I think that when you bring those together, that's when you can have really effective change. Both the quantitative and the qualitative, right? As we think about connecting the dots between the data and the nudge. That is correct. Yes. So, so to stay with those two dots, one dimension is to really go into the qualitative, into the behavioral side, into the motivation. The other is to start to learn from marketing. Kim, we said there's no silver bullet. How, how do we use marketing principles internally? Um, I think, uh, I think carefully, right? Um, I was just, um, I was on, uh, a conversation earlier today that Josh person was on and we were chatting about this topic. And one of the things he said, he's like, I don't mean to freak you all out, but he's like, you know, AI is here and it's um, scraping all this information from what, what appointments are on your calendar, how you're spending your time, what you're doing. And then we can use that to figure out, are you micromanaging your team? Are you doing all the right things, right? Are you spending your time in the most productive way? And he's like, and then nudges are going to come your way. We're going to send that, you know, they can then send out tips and tricks or for, for managers uh, in terms of how you should be operating. And it was just a reminder to us. I think you and I were talking at one point, Adam, about this whole concept of, I don't know about you guys, but I get freaked out when my phone starts listening to me and then pushing things to me based on, you know, like now it's, I don't even have to say it out loud. I just have to think a thought like I'm looking at, you know, something I might want to buy or whatever. And the next thing I know, Instagram's pushing me ads about that product. Right. And I'm like, how is this happening? And, you know, we know our phones, what, you know, if, if Dave and I are in the same room, our phones are talking to each other, right? And it, we might get pushes based on what's happening with our friends and family and their phone data. And I think, I think the reality is, is that uh, we, it, it's a lot of data, it's a lot of insights, right? And it's a lot of things that get pushed our way. So, you know, what, um, you know, what opportunities do we have to make those nudges really count and be things people will pay attention to, listen to, take action on. You know, I think, you know, one of the um, really cool um, pieces of technology I've seen that's out there right now is uh, it's an application or a tool that connects to your calendar. And, and uh, you know, we've all done these team building exercises where we've had our disk assessment or Enneagram or, you know, it tells us how we operate, how we work together in teams. Well, this technology 
will take all of that assessment data and then with a link to your calendar, it will push information to you about who you're meeting with today and remind you a bit about those folks, right? So, oh, I have a meeting coming up with Dave. Well, here are some things for me to remember about how Dave processes information or you know how I can have the most effective conversation with him. And so each morning this email is in my inbox with all this uh, detail of who I'm meeting today and what I might want to remind myself of in order to have a more productive, successful conversation. Uh, so uh, we've just come so far. There's so much we can do. I think the question is, what should we do? What is going to be most impactful? What is going to get us again to our end game? So much we could do. What should we do? And, and Josh, brilliant. Uh, I would just, you know, from my perspective, would say I do mean to freak you out because it's it's here in, in a really really big way and there's going to be a dark side and a light side and this takes us into questions of governance of using data responsibly of being transparent you know the intention and uh, you know we, we're not going there at the moment although I, I do want to go to Dave because we just touched AI and you and I had some fun discussing AI and, and I don't know if it's going to be a series of, of episodes on its own but if you we think about data on one side nudge on the other taking aside using data response, take, taking governance aside for the moment, it seems that AI is going to be in between. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, AI is definitely the bridge between the two. Um, data is the currency of consumerism. Um, nudges are the drivers of it. And um, I think AI is, is the bridge that mechanically enables it um, to, to happen. So, you know, on the data side, Listen, every employee leaves their footprint through an organization. Uh, there's a path in, up, through, and out of an organization. And so organizations have to have good data strategies. You know, Pablo and Kim uh, mentioned that. You've mentioned it, Adam. You have to be able to aggregate your data. And right now, unfortunately, uh, as we work with most of our clients, their data is disaggregated in large part, especially employee data. Uh, it sits in HDM system, it sits, sits in payroll systems, it sits in LMS systems, it sits in comp systems, it sits in productivity tools, it sits in a variety of different places. And unfortunately, a lot of our clients just don't have a means for aggregating that information into a data lake or some type of an aggregated place where um, data can be accessed and manipulated. Um, so. You know, that's, that's a foundational issue that a lot of our clients need to attack, and it's going to be critical for organizations. If they want to go down this consumer path and an employee experience path, they've got to have a strategy around it. Um, on the other end, we talk about, you know, Pablo uh, talked about nudges. Um, listen, nudges are, are critical. If you're trying to um, retain critical talent, which we know from our research is absolutely vital, uh, to both um, financial success and digital maturity, you know, you've got to be able to nudge your uh, leaders in your organization, people who lead others to execute critical actions that are needed to reinforce retention. So for example, coaching interventions or career planning interventions, things that are often not done enough or not done frequently enough or not done in, in a high quality way. And when those nudges occur, it's not just a reminder to do it. That manager has access to information about the employee um, that they're supposed to be coaching and their performance history, their developmental needs, and they have access to um, learning recommendations that they can deliver and share. So uh, the ability to deliver that to um, a manager in the form of a nudge that also has the right content and access to the right tools and resources, AI is the tool that powers that. 
Um, uh, you know, AI scrapes that data, it aggregates that information through machine learning and other things, delivers that to a manager so that they can have a very compelling nudge or intervention with that employee so that it impacts uh, a specific outcome that you're trying to achieve in the organization. So um, data, AI, nudges, really important to think through that thoughtfully as you're thinking through your employee experience and consumer strategy. Um, but AI is a, we could have a full full conversation just about that topic alone, Adam. We could from channels, timing of the delivery, the number of questions here. In many ways, we look at what's happening with customers, what's happening with us on whether Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever your social media of choice is, as you look at, uh, Kim mentioned relevance is, is scary. It, it's a bit scary, but it also in many ways is helpful. Where I want to go next is, is really a quick pause. Did I skip on anything? Any, anyone, any comments there before? I want to talk about who inside the organization is going to lead the way. Yeah. L let's go there because it's all over the place. Completely, like to, a, to an extent, partially this was the genesis of this, of this podcast is because as a founder of Prohabits and Mably, as we're having conversations in the market, I couldn't figure out who I should be talking to. So when we think about the data on one side, nudge on the other, and we're thinking about consumerization, humanization of the experience, Kim, I want to start with HR. As a, as a thesis, this is who should be leading the way. What comments would you make about HR? And I know how hard it is to make the comments because, again, maturity uh, is so different for the organizations. It's not like we should p pick w which spectrum we're on. But, uh, Kim, what do, you, what do you think? Should HR lead the way? Uh, I think HR has two pretty important roles to play, right, in this, in this conversation of, of, of an organization's digital maturity. Uh, the first role they have to play links back to what Dave said earlier, which is what are the um, what are the traits, what are the things in place when an organization is high performing and and very high on the digital maturity curve, and a lot of them are people related topics, culture, retention, um, you know, setting up reward systems to allow you to fail fast. You know, as Dave said, you know, making sure it's not punitive, but you know that that you've got the right system. So HR has a really important role to play in making sure they have the right programs and practices uh, and, um, and that the culture is there uh, for the organization to successfully uh, um, advance towards their goals of digital maturity. So there, there's a big role for HR to play there. The second track, which is kind of a parallel track, is HR it's, has to get its own house in order and HR's own house needs to be more digitally mature. Uh, which means they've got to have the right um, the right skills and capabilities in the HR function. They've got to have an agile service delivery model for HR that can flex to where the organizations need them to flex to. And they've got to have the right tools in place uh, to collect all this data, to push the data out like we talked about, right? So if you think about the role HR plays, think about it as a dual track role. What am I? What is HR doing to support the business on these people-related issues that are, that are influencing uh, the organization's move to be more digital? And then what is the HR function itself doing to become more digital uh, in their moments that matter when the employees are intersecting with HR processes and uh, the HR framework to make sure that's going seamlessly? So, uh, you know, very, uh, HR is a very important part of this process and, uh, and certainly should be leading in, in those two areas at a minimum. 
Great contribution. Ken, thank you. Uh, Pablo, I'll go to you. You and I had almost a philosophical conversation where we went in a direction from HR. Uh, as Kim described, we went in the direction of the CEO and we started even thinking about as a chief executive officer or as a chief experience officer. What say you? Who should be leading the people initiatives as we think about the employee experience as a customer experience? Yeah, I think that, you know, I mean, I think Kim is 100% right. HR is probably is going to be the ones who are actually activating all of these things. However, what I, I've always seen is that an organization is always a manifestation of the CEO in, in every aspect. And whether or not they're digitally, digitally forward or innovative comes from the CEO. If they are employee focused, that comes from the CEO. And it's because mainly we, you know, we build people around us that are like-minded. And when you do that, you find great leaders around you that are driving those same initiatives. And I think that, um, you know, a perfect example of this was, um, is Southwest Airlines. The founder, the original founder, Herb Kelleher, he had this really amazing quote and he says, if the employees come first, then they're happy. A motivated employee treats the customer well, the customer is happy, so they keep coming back, which pleases shareholders. And and I think that to me is a very well thought through. I mean, I think about you know when Southwest was doing so well in and they were leading in pretty much every market that they uh, had. You know, it was very easy to see customers. I mean, their employee experience was so well that their customers you know felt that. And and then there was a change in the CEO. I don't know, five six years ago, something like that. And then over time, there have been documented impacts on the customer ex- or the employee experience to a point where you look at what happened over over the break uh, over Christmas, and just so many things kind of went you know kind of collapsed. And a lot of that was digitally focused. They did not you know focus on the things that their employees needed to do their job well and compete in the market. And there you you've got this really you know kind of catastrophic moment, and that Im- impacts how people trust the brand. And so for me, when I always think of any type of organization doing well in within any space, I always look at the the, the chief executive offer with, officer, which is really, to your point, they are really the chief experience officer, whether it's employee experience or customer experience. And it begins with them because they are the ones who sets the vision for the organization and really holds everyone else accountable for doing that. And so that's, to me, just in the way that I think about that. Yeah. Chief experience officer. Fascinating. And in the Southwest, such a great example as the employee experience shifted, so did the customer experience. Um, Dave, you know, you and I had the same conversation, but at some point, the deep, deeper we went, especially I think when we talked about AI in the context of data to nudge, um, I just paused and, and asked you, how many do you think can have this conversation inside organizations? And um, please, Go ahead. I was just gonna. I was just gonna say. I think more people can have the conversation than you might think. Um, I agree with Pablo in that the CEO, uh, as the chief experience officer, uh, ultimately, you know, the buck stops there. They've got to drive. Um, I also agree with Kim that ultimately HR plays um, a critical, if not the critical, role activating. But you know, take it back to the research that I mentioned earlier in the conversation. When we were looking at um, high-performing, digitally mature organizations um, who owned their transformation efforts, what was interesting is the research um, showed that um, there wasn't any one individual or role um, that, that necessarily owned it. What we found in our research was that 
minimally, someone was designated and did own it in the organization, and it was at the executive level of the organization. So in some cases, we found that was an operational leader, and others, it might even be a chief digital officer. Um, what's important is that accountability is clear, um, and that an executive team, ultimately led by the, the, the CEO, has a clear strategy around this, and clear accountabilities, and as you mentioned, clear governance around this, and it is a collective shared ownership of the transformation that you're trying to, to drive, whether it's customer experience and or employee experience. And uh, so you've got to be clear about that. Um, and I think more people are, are attuned to this notion of employee experience now than ever before because of underlying, frankly, demographic shifts that are taking place. There are just fewer and fewer people who are available um, to fill jobs that are open in our workforce and even fewer of those who are available are actually choosing to enter the workforce. So fundamentally, uh, we've got this massive underlying demographic shift that is placing a premium on critical skills and talent. Now we talked about the importance of digital literacy and data literacy and consumer science and marketing science um, in the HR space in particular there are just fewer and fewer people who are going to have these skills who are going to be available. Uh, and there's going to be intense competition for it going forward. So, you know, most leaders are feeling that tension and pressure. Um, they understand that attraction and retention and, and, and people in org issues are of critical importance to powering the organization. People are the engines of organizations. I mean, technology and data enable, but fundamentally, Organizations don't operate without people. And so I think these leaders understand uh, that people issues are really critical. And because of that, I think this whole notion of employee experience is being elevated to executive levels and more enlightened leaders, especially those that are in high performing, digitally mature organizations do understand this and therefore make it a priority, have clear strategies and do it better than others. Um, and so Key takeaway here is that it's clear, it's important to have clear accountability set at the executive level, whether it's with a CEO, a chief digital officer, whatever. You got, you, you got to be real clear about that. You can't be ambiguous about it or it doesn't work. And our research bears that out. It, it also helps me to know that, I, that I'm not insane because I couldn't find the one function that owns it. And, and it can be, uh, depending on the organization, it could sit in various executive functions. But uh, retention, you mentioned, it's, it's unbelievable. In the last nine months of having this podcast, hundreds of conversations, that's the number one thing that comes up over and over and over again. How do we improve the employee experience? How do we improve as measured by retention. Um, I could go on and on with this group for hours, maybe days, uh, dare I say. Um, I hope I, I did justice to try to harness the brilliance. I, I was, couldn't sleep last night turning, thinking, how do I, how do I unite you know, all of the brilliance we have on the call? But let's do a quick lightning round with the following question, which is, what advice would you give to agents of change that are listening? Uh, they don't need to be convinced. The folks that are listening to this podcast are convinced to pursue the Future People initiatives. What advice would you give them in order for them to continue their journeys in whatever stage of the maturity they're in? And uh, Dave, maybe we'll start, kick it off with you. Oh, you put me in the, in the hot seat. I did, I did. Give, uh, Kim and, and Pablo time to think about their answers to this one. Uh, that's, <laughs> a, 
That's a that's a tough one. Um, but but fundamentally, you know, I always start with with you know trying to keep this as simple as we can. And I would um, encourage champions of change to start the conversation around this. So take what you've heard here today, uh, the notes that you may have t- taken in this conversation. Um, uh, nuggets that you took away or things that particularly piqued your interest or that were relevant to your organization and start a conversation uh, with the executive team and leaders and ask questions. Are we doing the right things? Um, take a look at the research we've done or, or research that others have done and, 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 and start that conversation and ask questions and uh, look at your own organization with a critical eye and uh, begin to think about where might where should our journey start? Uh, where should our journey uh, begin on this path? And initiate that conversation with uh, senior leaders. If your leaders are enlightened, um, they'll want to have that conversation. So that's where I would. That's the advice I'd give. Awesome, Dave. Thank you, Kim. Let's go to you. Sure. Um, I think I'd build on what everything Dave said. I agree with everything he said about that whole whole customer discovery journey. Right. Ask the question. Start the conversation. Uh, my advice is uh, once you've done all that, once you've, you've, you've uh, laid the groundwork, you have a clear understanding, is identify what, what your ultimate North Star is. Where are you headed, right? And, and what do you want to get out of this journey so that everybody sees that in vision and then back up from there and say, how many uh, jumps do we need to make to get to that North Star, right? We can't get there all at once. It's not going to be Big Bang. I've never seen any company successfully execute on a Big Bang strategy. So back your way up and say, if this is where we want to ultimately be, how are we going to get there? What does this journey look like? What is the time frame? And then, you know, what's phase one? What's phase two? What's phase three? And, and how can we just get started in a way that makes sense to the organization, but we have that clear in the state in mind. Awesome. Awesome. Think with an end in mind. Start with an end in mind. Pablo, what advice would you give? I think that the advice that I would give is you don't have to do this alone. I think so many organizations, they, they may have tremendous teams in-house, but sometimes you actually need an ex, someone external to give a different perspective to disagree with you, to have a hard conversation, to tell you the truth sometimes. And that's not always easy. And I think that finding, you know, partners that have done this before, whether it's even just like a, a you know, a, a neighboring organization of just someone who's went through this, just having an outside perspective. It's not like necessarily needs to be a consulting firm. It's just the idea of you don't have to do this alone. And I think I don't, for some reason we, we live in a world where if, you know, uh, finding help is almost looked down upon. And I think that you know, in, in our world, um, you know, I think that's that's why we exist is because we want to see organizations thrive. And and those who are able to kind of reach out and say, hey, you know, I've tried this. I'm not you know, we're, we're not the best at it. We need your help. And I, I love hearing things like that because it's when that's when an organization is serious. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, I think that any organization that is willing to, you know, find help is, is probably um, most you know, in the best position to, to find that success. These are not easy questions that we're asking. Um, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Listen, Dave, Pablo, Kim, a huge thank you for the audience. If you want to know more about the brilliance by this group and, and the broader group, go to westmonroe.com. Um, again, thank you so much for your time. And um, I hope to continue the conversation in the future. Dave, thank you. Pablo, thank you. Kim, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Adam. It was great. Great to join you today. Thanks for having us. Over and out.